Well, in our series on the book of Ruth, what we've been noticing is that uh, both Boaz and Ruth are really shadows of the substance, Jesus Christ. They are foreshadowings, uh, types of Christ, who is the antitype, the fulfillment. Uh, And we have been seeing in the character of of Ruth and Boaz that uh, there is so much work that God wants to do in our lives to make us more kind, uh, to make us more like Jesus Christ, our Lord. Before we pray this morning, I want to read just one verse from a hymn that some of you may know. The hymn is entitled, O to be like thee. O to be like thee, full of compassion, loving forgiving, tender, and kind, helping the helpless, cheering the fainting, seeking, wandering sinner to find. Oh, to be more like Jesus Christ. Let's pray together as we prepare to open the word. Father, we thank you for the book of Ruth. We thank you for the life of Boaz and Ruth, but especially this morning for the life, the teaching, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord, kindness on two legs, compassion incarnate, your love and your faithfulness in human flesh. Lord God, we pray this morning that in this hour as we preach through the uh, the next section of the book of Ruth, that your spirit would be at work ever conforming us to the image of your Son, making us more Christ-like, transforming us from glory to glory. We pray these things in the mighty, powerful, saving name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Last Sunday, we noted the tension that is apparent in the first nine verses of Ruth chapter 3. Naomi and Ruth undertake this risky plan at the threshing floor, and it's risky because there is the real possibility, as we noted last week, the real possibility that Boaz will simply shut the door on Ruth as Ruth comes to him there unannounced, alone, in the dark of night where he's sleeping. The suspense that we left you with last Sunday was this, how will Boaz respond to this daring initiative? Well, this morning, we are jumping uh, right back into the story. I hope you have a Bible open at Ruth chapter 3. Now we're looking beginning at verse 10 of Ruth 3. Now we get Boaz's response to Ruth, a response that lasts for four verses. So in verse 9, Ruth has just identified herself to Boaz. Uh, She's cut to the chase, really, and asked Boaz to marry her because Boaz is a redeemer. And again, as we said a few weeks back, a redeemer in ancient Israel was a family member, a close relative uh, who took the responsibility to help another family member who had come into trouble. Well, now in verse 10, we get the first part of Boaz the Redeemer's response to Ruth uh, to her daring proposal. So there, in the midnight darkness, Boaz says to Ruth, May you be blessed, 
by Yahweh, my daughter. And right here, as readers who've read the whole story up to this point, we breathe a sigh of relief. The tension that had built up in the first part of chapter 3 now melts away. So far, Boaz is responding favorably to the presence of Ruth there at the threshing floor. May you be blessed by Yahweh, my daughter. Now again, just to point out here, the mouth of this godly man, Boaz, is full of blessing, full of benediction, isn't it? Remember when he had come to work that day, And he had said to his employees, Yahweh be with you, chapter 2, verse 4. And remember in 2.12, when Boaz had pronounced an earlier blessing on Ruth, Yahweh repay you, Yahweh give you a full reward, he had said. And now here at 3.10, Boaz says to a no doubt nervous, fearful Ruth, he says, May you be blessed by Yahweh. Well, I don't know about you, my friend, but I love to be around people like Boaz. People whose mouths are full of God and full of the blessing of God, the benediction of God. It's great to be around people like that. Boaz continues by saying to Ruth, you have made this last chesed, And that is the Hebrew word in the text here. You have made this last chesed, this last kindness, greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. Now, when Boaz says here, last chesed or last kindness, He's referring to what Ruth has just said at the end of 3.9. At the end of 3.9, Ruth's stated reason, remember, for wanting Boaz to marry her was that Boaz was a redeemer. And as we pointed out last Sunday, what Ruth meant is that she wanted to marry Boaz so that Naomi's family could receive help so that Elimelech's name might be continued by the birth of a son. We pointed out last week how Ruth's reason for wanting this marriage was a selfless, kind, generous reason that put Naomi's needs in the forefront. How exceedingly kind of Ruth. And this kindness of Ruth is the last chesed, the last kindness that Boaz is referring to here, which, he says, is greater than the first. Well, what was the first chesed or the first kindness that Ruth had shown? Well, it was a kindness that Boaz himself had outlined back in chapter 2, verse 11, when Boaz had described Ruth as leaving father, mother, and land to come to Israel with her mother-in-law. That was Ruth's first hesed, her first kindness. 
But now this request for Boaz to marry her, since Boaz was a redeemer, this was even a greater kindness toward Naomi's family. And Boaz points out here that Ruth has not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. You see, Ruth could very well have sought a young guy, right? She could have sought a guy, a young guy in the peak of his physical powers. But what had Ruth done? She had purposely kept loyal to the family clan. She had purposely left herself available in the hope that she might raise up an heir within the family clan for her dead father-in-law and for her living mother-in-law. As we read the text of Ruth, are we not amazed, I think we should be amazed, at the chesed, at the kindness, at the selflessness of Ruth? It's really quite amazing. There in the dark of midnight at the threshing floor, Boaz wakes up amazed, doesn't he? He wakes up amazed at the gold standard chesed kindness of the woman who is lying at his feet. And now, in verse 11, Boaz makes a promise to Ruth. He makes a promise. He says, And now, my daughter... Do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. Ah. Essentially, Boaz is saying here, I accept your marriage proposal, Ruth. I will do for you all that you ask for all my fellow townsmen. Yes, all of those noble backbone members of our community, all of them know that you are an eshet ha'il, a worthy woman. Word had spread around town about Ruth's integrity, about Ruth's reputation for kindness, about her selflessness. Now remember, friends, back at chapter 2, verse 1, the narrator of the story there had described Boaz as an ish gibor chayil. In other words, a worthy man. A worthy man. Now here at 3.11, we have Ruth described as an eshet chayil, a worthy woman. Well, it would seem then would it not? It would seem that this couple is very compatible. According to the story, they are both worthy. They are both valorous, noble people. The world needs so many more of them. The two of them are people who are rarer than rubies, to use the language of Proverbs 31. John Yao says that according to the characterizations that we have in both these instances, both these verses, so in 2.1 of Boaz, worthy man, and now 3.11, that was so endemic to the period of the judges. This made them a perfect match, close quote. 
my friends, I hope that God is beckoning us, encouraging us through our prayerful study of this part of His Word. I hope that He is beckoning and encouraging us to assess the level of our own valor and nobility and integrity, and that we would make it a point to pray down His help for further change, for His glory, for the benefit of our neighbor, and for our own wholeness. Let's go to verse 12. So far, Ruth's nervous heart here at the threshing floor had been calmed so dramatically by Boaz's embracing sort of response to her. Now, however, in verse 12, Boaz raises a complication that may set Ruth's heart racing again. Boaz says, and now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Uh Uh-oh. Boaz raises this issue now that there's another person in the clan who is technically first choice to act as redeemer in this situation because of his proximity relationally to dead Elimelech. So this is a potential complication. And it's right here in the text, as we're reading the story carefully, that we raise a question that maybe doesn't have an altogether clear answer. The question is this. Wouldn't Naomi have known about this nearer relative in the family, even as she busily drew up the plan for Ruth to go out and meet Boaz? Wouldn't she have known about this? Why had Naomi not mentioned this to Ruth? It's an interesting question, and I don't find that there's a very easy answer to that question. For Boaz's part, what we notice here is that he is a man, notice this, who desires to obey the law of God. He desires, clearly, to proceed in an orderly fashion in this situation. Boaz will not overstep the other Redeemer's rights. Boaz even seems willing here, if necessary, to bow out of the picture should the other nearer Redeemer want to take care of the situation. Again, Boaz is such a character guy, isn't he? Such a character guy, even in this situation. He just doesn't let up showing us his godly, humble, generous character. Verse 13, Boaz says to Ruth, Remain tonight, that is. Lodge here tonight. Don't go wandering off into the dark, Ruth. It's too dangerous. And in the morning, if this other redeemer, this other relative will redeem you, good. Let him do it. 
But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as Yahweh lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. Note there that Boaz invokes the name of Yahweh as he voices his commitment to Ruth. As Yahweh lives, I will redeem you. In this, we find again that Ruth and Boaz are very compatible because Ruth also invoked Yahweh's name as she voiced her commitment to Naomi in chapter 1, verse 17. Ruth and Boaz, both, at different times of the story, they both name Yahweh as they make commitments of chesed to others. They are a compatible couple, a godly couple. Let's go to verse 14. So Ruth lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. That is, Ruth arose in the pre-dawn hour when there was still a lack of light, when faces were still unrecognizable because of the darkness. And Boaz said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. What's Boaz concerned about? Boaz is concerned here to preserve both his own worthy reputation and Ruth's as well. Both Boaz and Ruth know, and we as readers also know, that nothing inappropriate has happened here during this night at the threshing floor with this unmarried couple, but those who might witness Ruth as she walks away from this location, they might possibly think otherwise. If they see Ruth walking away from where Boaz had been sleeping, they might jump to the wrong conclusion. Boaz is concerned for Ruth's integrity, and along with that, verse 15, Boaz is concerned again for Ruth's physical welfare, for her provision. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. Now, as Boaz dumps six measures of barley into the garment of Ruth, there are a few things going on here. First of all, we don't get the name of the specific measurement in the Hebrew text here. So we ask, was it six omers of barley? Was it six sias of barley? Six scoops of barley? We're, we're not entirely sure Probably, I think if we were to make a guess, Boaz gives between 18 and 30 pounds of barley to Ruth here in her garment, between 18 and 30 pounds. Now some, as they read this verse, they have pointed out that the number six, six measures, is one shy of seven, and seven in the Bible is, of course, the number of completeness, 
So there could be the idea here that as Boaz gives six measures of barley to Ruth, it signifies that the blessing is not yet complete. There will be more blessing to come. Whatever the case, this gesture of Boaz, lavishing Ruth with more food, is again another, we need to see this, another display of Boaz's generosity, isn't it? His generosity, his kindness, his chesed. This is not the first time that Ruth has sent, uh, that Boaz has sent Ruth home with a plentiful supply of grain. It's not the first time. And also, as Boaz gives this gift of barley, it's perhaps, listen, perhaps it is a sort of assurance pledge to Naomi. Naomi will end up seeing this visual pledge, this barley, once Ruth arrives home, and it will say to Naomi, I, Boaz, am favorable to the idea of marrying your daughter-in-law. Well, verse 16, Ruth arrives back where Naomi is. And when Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi said, what did she say? How did you fare, my daughter? Now, what is really of interest here is that in the original Hebrew, the question that Naomi asks Ruth here is quite literally, who are you, my daughter? Who are you? And indeed, the King James Version of Scripture has preserved it that way. The KJV has here, who art thou, my daughter? What Naomi seems to be asking here is, Ruth, after your night at the threshing floor, what is your identity now? How do you see yourself now? Who are you? Are you Ruth the Moabite widow, or are you Ruth wife-to-be? Who are you? The last part of verse 16 into verse 17 says, Then Ruth told Naomi all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Now, this statement that Ruth attributes to Boaz here, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law, this is interesting here for a couple of reasons. First of all, the statement is nowhere to be found in Boaz's speech that we have just listened to on the threshing floor that he gives to Ruth. It's nowhere to be found there. So in other words, this statement is nowhere in verses 10 through 15. But obviously Boaz had said it, even if it's not recorded in his first person speech. And it's an important statement from Boaz because it does show show us here, this is important, that he had been thinking about Naomi when he had measured the six scoops of barley into Ruth's garment. Naomi had been on Boaz's mind, even as he 
lavishly gave that barley out. And we suggested earlier that along with being simple provision for these two widows, the six measures of barley also were perhaps a message of sorts, a message from Boaz to Naomi, a message that said he looked favorably on the proposal that Ruth had brought. He was going to marry her. Secondly, these words that Ruth attributes to Boaz are interesting because of the use of the word empty. Boaz had said to Ruth, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. This is the same Hebrew word, this word empty, that we found at chapter 1, verse 21, when Naomi had said so bitterly, I went away full from Judah, and Yahweh has brought me back empty. In that moment, Naomi had perceived herself as empty, even with Ruth standing there right beside her, which must have left Ruth feeling a little empty as well. And now here at 317, Boaz is concerned to fill up the emptiness that is in the lives of both these women. So we need to see here that there is a reversal, a reversal of the emptiness of these two women. It's been reversed now to a new condition of fullness, and it's going to get even fuller yet. And again, friends, Boaz here acts as God's instrument. Yes? Ultimately, this is God reversing the emptiness of Naomi and Ruth. It's God giving six measures of barley in generosity, giving six measures of barley as a pledge that Boaz will marry Ruth. It's God saying with six measures and not seven that the blessing he will pour out on the lives of these people and ultimately the blessing he will pour out on the world via these people is not yet complete. Verse 18, finally, Naomi replied to Ruth, Wait, my daughter, sit tight until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Watch this. Naomi is confident here in Boaz. She is confident in Boaz. Naomi is confident in Boaz's character and Boaz's abilities. Naomi is confident to wait on the Redeemer. Naomi knows, as John Yao has put it, she knows that the Redeemer will not rest until he has Ruth resting in his household as his wife. And friends, it's right here in the book of Ruth that the speaking parts of both Ruth and Naomi end. 
Neither, neither Ruth nor Naomi will speak again in the story. As we get into chapter 4 next Sunday, the focus will be mostly on Boaz and his very shrewd, very wise dealing with the nearer Redeemer that he's already mentioned. Well, in our passage this morning, one of the things that stands out is Boaz lavishing Ruth with the blessing of six measures of barley. Of course, Boaz will end up, listen, he will end up being a seed provider of another kind. As he fathers his son Obed, who becomes the grandfather of David. Matthew 1, verses 5 and 6. Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David the king. And then this lineage continues through those first several verses of Matthew 1 until we come to verse 16, where the lineage terminates in Jesus, who is called Christ. Boaz's provision of seed, then, ends up blessing not only two widows, but the entire world as Jesus comes in his lineage. We love Boaz, don't we? This worthy man, full of kindness and selflessness and generosity and integrity. Boaz is worth loving. Boaz is worth admiring. But as we close this morning, what I want to do, and I'm sure that Boaz himself would be pleased with this little exercise, is I, wanna, I want to have us imagine, imagine the passage that we have just walked through as a scene that is playing on an early analog television from the early 1950s. Imagine Ruth chapter 3 playing on a 16-inch black and white screen that is somewhat blurry, and you can't quite get the picture clear because despite adjusting the rabbit ears up top, it's still a little fuzzy. And the sound is kind of crackly, and there's some white noise underneath. But now, sitting right beside that old TV, there in your living room, is a brand new 88-inch, 8K, flat-screen TV. The latest, best, full-color, crisp, clear television from 2021. And on that new TV, there is another scene playing. Another scene playing alongside the scene from Ruth 3 that's playing on the old TV. Well, what scene is playing on the brand new 8K TV? It's Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. Jesus there healing Jairus' daughter 
and Jesus healing the woman with the issue of blood. All of that is in this passage. Well, let's watch both scenes play out on both TVs. So over on our old 16-inch black and white TV, we have Ruth making her bold request of faith at the feet of Boaz in Ruth 3, verse 9. Marry me, for you are a redeemer, she says, essentially, as she's laying there at the feet of Boaz. Over on our 88-inch full-color 8K TV, we have Jairus making a bold request of faith as he falls at the feet of Jesus. Jairus says, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may, may be made well and live. So on both TVs, people are making their bold requests of faith. Ruth to Boaz, Jairus to Jesus. Back over on the blurry black and white TV, we have the words, my daughter, being voiced four times in the scene. And every time those words are voiced there in Ruth chapter 3, they refer to one person, to Ruth. Twice Boaz speaks the words, my daughter, as he's talking to Ruth in Ruth 3.10 and in Ruth 3.11. And twice Naomi uses the same words as she speaks to Ruth in 3.16 and in 3.18, my daughter. Well, back over on the full-color, amazing, crisp, brand-new flat screen, we have the word daughter being used three times in the story, but in this case, the word daughter refers not to just one person, but rather to two persons. In Mark 5.23, Jairus speaks of his little daughter who is in need of healing. That was the bold request. And then in verse 34, Jesus uses the word daughter to refer to the woman with the issue of blood. And then in verse 35, the people use the same word daughter one more time to refer to the daughter of Jairus. So on the old black and white TV, we have one daughter in need, Ruth, while on the 88-inch full-color flat screen, we have not one but two daughters in need. And in response to daughter Ruth's need over on the little fuzzy black and white, we have Boaz saying this, I will do for you all that you ask, Ruth 3.11. Boaz shows himself there to be a willing redeemer, a willing redeemer. And then over on our 88-inch color TV, we have Boaz's descendant, Jesus, responding immediately to the need of the little daughter of Jairus by doing what? By going to the house, Mark 5.24, essentially saying without words to Jairus, I will do for you all that you ask. Jesus shows himself to be a willing redeemer. Back over to the old rabbit ear set. Amidst the crackling sound, we, we make out the voice of Boaz saying there to daughter Ruth, saying, 
Do not fear, Ruth 3.11, as Boaz is preparing to rescue Ruth and Naomi from their dire situation. Over on our brilliant flat screen, we hear Jesus say, do not fear, in Mark 5.36, as he prepares to perform a startling miracle of rescue on the little daughter of Jairus. Back to the 1950s tube TV, we see in Ruth 3.15 that a garment is involved in great blessing as Ruth holds out her garment for Boaz to fill it up with barley. And now, on the 88-inch flat screen, we likewise see that a garment is involved in another daughter's blessing as the daughter with the issue of blood reaches out to touch the garment of Jesus and is healed. In fact, the word garment is used three times in Mark 5 in that section. Finally, over on the fuzzy black and white, we see a mother, the mother-in-law Naomi, being blessed by a daughter's return. Ruth comes back with six measures of barley. While over on the 8K TV, what do we have? We also see there a mother being blessed, astoundingly blessed, as her daughter returns. As her daughter comes back to her, raised from the dead by the power of Jesus Christ. Two scenes on two very different screens. Why is Ruth 3 in black and white and somewhat fuzzy? And why is Mark 5 on the 88-inch 8K color TV? Well, because Ruth is in the Old Testament. Ruth is a shadow. It represents... The incomplete blessing, the incomplete blessing, the six measures of barley that only are fulfilled and consummated and escalated in Jesus Christ. In Ruth 3, we have a single daughter receiving a blessing of barley and a so far unfulfilled promise of marriage. The scene on the 88-inch color TV is an escalation, isn't it? An escalation of brilliance and color and clarity and glory. In Mark 5, we have not one, but two daughters, double the daughters, being blessed not merely by barley and a promise of marriage, but by literally being brought from the shadow of death to life. In the case of the one daughter, she is physically healed by Jesus, miraculously healed by the power of Jesus after 12 years of suffering. And in the other case, in the case of Jairus' daughter, it is even more alarming. It is even more astounding. This is Jesus. We have Jairus' little daughter being raised from the dead, imagine it, raised from the dead by the power of of this new, full-color, greater-than-Boaz, Jesus our Lord and Redeemer. Boaz is admirable 
Boaz is godly, but Jesus is better. Boaz sacrifices much to redeem a single family in ancient Israel. Jesus is tortured violently and sacrifices his very life to redeem the nations. Boaz blessedly pours out, doesn't he? He pours out 10 gallons of chesed on Ruth and Naomi. Jesus, with unfathomable blessing, pours out infinite chesed on sinners from every nation in every period of history. Jesus is better than Boaz. All praise to Jesus Christ. All glory to Jesus Christ. This week, friend, live in the reality of his kindness, his chesed in your life on your head. <laughs> I close now simply with a doxological reading of Psalm 136. And I ask you to turn there with me. Psalm 136, because the word chesed, uh, this word kindness that we've been talking about for so many weeks, this appears some 26 times in the psalm. In fact, the word chesed appears in every verse of Psalm 136, every single verse. So, here it is, and then we're done. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his hesed endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his hesed endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his hesed endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, for his hesed endures forever. Forever. To him by understanding made the heavens, for his hesed endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his hesed endures forever. To him who made the great lights that are shining today, for his hesed endures forever. The sun to rule over the day, for his hesed endures forever. The moon and stars to rule over the night, for his hesed, his kindness, his loving kindness endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, for his hesed endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them, for his hesed endures forever. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm, for his hesed endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his hesed endures forever. And made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his hesed endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his hesed refer endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his hesed endures forever. To him who struck down great kings, for his hesed endures forever. And killed mighty kings for his hesed endures forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites, for his hesed endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, for his hesed endures forever. And gave their land as a heritage, for his hesed endures forever. A heritage to Israel, his servant, for his hesed endures forever. It is he who remembered us in our low estate, for his hesed endures forever and rescued us from our foes, 
for his chesed endures forever. Who gives food to all flesh, for his chesed endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven for his chesed, his kindness, his loving kindness, his steadfast love endures forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are overabundantly, exceedingly, remarkably, alarmingly, undeservedly kind toward your human creatures, kind toward all the creatures that you have made. Lord God, we are amazed as we consider the kindness that you reveal in your word, the kindness that you exercise in our lives, the kindness that is leading us from a position prior when we did not know Christ to a position of knowing him and into eternal glory with you. It's all because of your kindness, your goodness, your chesed toward us. Lord, we are such a thankful people. And I pray for each of us, Lord, that we would live in this kindness, spread this kindness in this world, as we've been talking about week by week, in this world, Lord, that needs pure kindness uh, to be at play and to be exercised. Lord, help us. We pray in Jesus' name and for your sake. Amen. Hello again. This is now episode nine in our limited edition set of episodes on the book of Ruth. Yesterday during the sermon, we managed to finish chapter three of Ruth. Today, I just want to offer some brief comments on that entire chapter of scripture. Of course, Ruth chapter 3 is taken up with the meeting between Boaz and Ruth at the threshing floor. It records their midnight conversation as they lie together alone there at the threshing floor. And what strikes us there is the sexual integrity of both characters and also the selflessness that both of them display throughout the chapter. Of course, that situation at the threshing floor had the potential to become a very sexually charged uh, kind of situation, but both Ruth and Boaz show a disinterest in self-gratification there. Uh, there is no self-interest at play there. There is no taking advantage uh, of, of the other person. There is no willful, debauched behavior uh, that unfolds there from either of the characters. And this makes the chapter a very countercultural sort of a chapter, doesn't it? It makes the chapter a challenge from God to us in our very sexually charged culture. The words and the behaviors of both Ruth and Boaz are a very uh, contrastive study when we compare that scene in Ruth 3 with the typical values and mores that are promoted and paraded on Netflix and in Hollywood productions. Ruth 3 is a study that God has given us, a chapter that God has given us, on restraint, on virtue, uh, on godliness, on the nature of covenant relationships and acting on behalf of others before acting on our own interests. It is a beautiful, wonderful part of God's word. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, the Apostle Peter 
calls the prophetic word a lamp shining in a dark place. Well, Ruth chapter 3 is a lamp that shines in the midst of our very uh, darkened, sexually confused culture. And Ruth chapter 3 is worth our ongoing, repeated, careful meditation. It repays repeated readings. And now blessings to you for another week. And Lord willing, we will see you back here again next Monday at noon.